Welcome to the Living a Naturally Healthy Life podcast with Delane ND, the podcast for people looking to correct chronic illnesses such as diabetes through lifestyle change. I'm Dr. Delane Vaughn. As a physician, I see many patients who are ill because of lifestyle decisions such as food choices. Typically, diseases such as diabetes are managed with pills or injections. This approach creates a vicious, expensive, and unhealthy cycle of medication and then more medication to address the negative side effects. As a physician, and a life coach, I work with clients to resolve their diseases, get off their medications, and live a naturally healthy life. If you don't like the healthcare system in America, I recommend you use less of it by being naturally healthy. So if you feel there has to be a better, more natural way to live a healthy life, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. If you are looking for strategies to live a naturally healthy life, you are in the right place. This is episode number 99. Next week's the big one. I'm still not decided on the episode topic. I have been asking and trying to pull in some uh, suggestions for topics. So any questions or any suggested topics you have, please send me a message. You can send it to Delane at DelaneMD.com. I've received a couple. Nothing horribly compelling. My brother did offer to hijack the podcast with one of his best friends from high school and do a episode. I politely declined that, although I'm not going to lie, I am intrigued by that idea. Idea. But I decided for the love of my listenership that maybe we did not do that. So if you have a real topic or question that you really are interested in hearing what I have to say or what the literature says about that, let me know. Send that to me. Email it to Delane at DelaneMD.com by Wednesday at noon so that I have time to look up any information that I need to look up and present a some information that would be helpful for you. So today we are going to talk about the addiction to positivity. This is, I love digging into this because I think it's so important and it's something that we all struggle with in our society. Um, Because this is kind of a long topic, we're going to just dive right in. I'm not going to talk about much else today. Uh, So as we start into the topic of, you know, our addiction to positivity, this might ruffle some feathers initially. Just hear me out, hear me out to the end, bear with me to the end, and I promise it becomes clear where this can really become an obstacle for us. We've all been taught to look at our feelings, consider all of them, and take the bad ones and look for an equivalent amount of good in our life. So when you have bad feelings, you're supposed to find some gratitude or a similar amount of good things. Or even remember, I think I was taught this, the strategy, and maybe I don't fully understand this concept because it's not really ever made a lot of sense to me, but for every bad feeling thing or experience one has, that they need to have three to five good experiences to outweigh them. And it's never just never made a lot of sense to me. So this podcast is about how that mindset, that mentality, and that approach really does not serve us. When people tell you that you need to look at what you're grateful for, like when you present like a a negative experience, like something you're going through that you're struggling with is really what it comes down to, right? Like maybe we present it as, oh my gosh, this horrible thing happened. And are they all thoughts? Absolutely, they are all thoughts. Do we have control over what we think and believe? Absolutely, we have control over what we think and believe. But when we don't at least allow ourselves the, the opportunity to look at what it is that our initial experience is, it's very hard to fix that, to make any reconceptualization or adjustment to that thought or belief. So when you're presenting this to somebody and they tell you, oh, that's really bad, but you have so much to be grateful for, 
what's really going on there or when you're the person saying that, right? Like sometimes we say that to ourselves, right? Like I shouldn't feel so mad about this. I live such a good life. What's really happening there is we are saying that I don't want to be uncomfortable with your sob story and it's more important for me to be comfortable than it is to deal with the reality, okay? So that is really where the heart of this is, right? Like this is why this is a toxic positivity, okay? So it's toxic positivity. You can look that up in the psychological literature. Some people have called it the tyranny of positivity. I call it an addiction to positivity. And we have been taught to believe that something is wrong with us when we feel badly, right? If I am reporting feeling badly, then I'm not grateful enough. I expect too much. My life really isn't that bad and I just can't see it. This is a forced false positivity, and it sounds innocent enough. I, cho- I totally get this, by the way. We want to try to get through life feeling the best we can. I, I promote this. I try to see and believe the best about people when given a choice. Do I believe they say a snide comment because they're mean, or do I believe they said a snide comment and didn't mean that way? I choose to believe they didn't mean it that way because then I get to feel better. I'm all about that. But saying that the feeling that you are experiencing really isn't that bad is like saying somebody else's comfort is more important than you dealing with your reality. It's a denial of the human experience. So here's the deal. Here's where it really breaks down. It is hard to fix the things that need to be quote unquote fixed, the things that we need to work on when we cannot even acknowledge the things. Okay, so the psychological literature talks about feelings being signposting. They talk about signposting as a concept. And it describes our feelings as signs of what we cannot see or signs of the things that we need. These are the signposts, quote unquote, of who we want to be and what our values are. I like to think of emotions as the analogy of color, okay? So if you think of color, light as color, white light is all of the colors of the spectrum and Blackness or darkness is none of the colors of the spectrum, right? The exciting parts aren't in the black or the white. The exciting part is in all the different color, right? That's where the beauty is. It's the same thing with our feelings. Feelings are like color. We can have good or bad, but that's black or white, right? So recognizing that the experience in between those two spaces That is where the beauty of life is. That's where we have the fullness and the robustness of life. When we label our feelings as just being good or bad, we cannot have that full experience of life. There are no good or bad feelings. There just aren't. Emotions are just data. They're just data. When we can start looking at emotions as data and not directives, that's when we blow the doors off of life. This was one of the most important lessons that I learned. There is just data. There's just signposting about what's going on in our life. Feelings are just data about what's going on in our life. When we believe that there are good feelings or bad feelings and we try to avoid the bad feelings, why? Because duh, they feel bad, right? What we're doing in that moment is we're missing the data being presented. When we don't look at our feelings, we don't see the data of the experience. We miss the signposting and the guidance. Tough emotions are part of our contract with life. 
We don't get to have a full life without having all of the feelings of the human experience. Recognize even when I say tough emotions, right? Like it's really easy to say, well, clearly you're describing that emotion as bad, but there's a lot of tough things that we do that we do not describe as bad. Mothers who deliver babies do not describe that tough work as a bad thing. Running a marathon that you've trained for and worked for, it's on your bucket list, you want to get it done, is tough, but not a bad thing. So please understand that there's there are unpleasant experiences. There are things that are hard, that take work, but it doesn't make it a bad thing, okay? When we don't allow ourselves to have the full experience of life and to evaluate the quote-unquote bad emotions, we are missing out on the fullness of life. Now, I'm not saying that we hold on to emotions or cling to them that aren't serving us or that make us feel uncomfortable, right? When we hold on to emotions like that, we get tired of carrying that extra weight. We get emotionally fatigued. That is also not helpful. But when these feelings are present, how important it is to look and see what is underneath those feelings is where the act of change starts. These feelings are actually the foundation of change. And this is why it's so important to pay attention. So a good example of this is anger. Say you were watching television or the news and you saw some social injustice on the news, right? And immediately you felt angry about it. For me, angry doesn't feel great. It's a strong resonating vibration in my chest it resonates out to my arms. It resonates into my thighs sometimes. Uh, it makes me feel hot. It makes me shake sometimes. My face flushes, depending on how angry I get. But anger is also the feeling that spurs courage. Feeling the anger will drive the courage needed to initiate a change. But if you don't allow the feeling... If you deny the experience of the feeling because it's quote-unquote negative feeling and it feels bad, we miss the opportunity for change. If you meet your anger at injustice with the story of it could be so much worse, you can allow the experience of anger to drive the courage that is needed to take action to create change, okay? So this is why... The addiction to positivity is such a problem. So when we allow ourselves to feel the emotion, we can start to grow. We can start to find solutions to the issues that we want to see different in the world. This is true for anger, driving courageous action for social justice. But it's also true for determining the feelings behind why we eat. This involves this all of this, not just for why we eat, but for all of the feelings that we experience, it involves emotional granularity. So getting really specific and really accurate with what you're feeling. The more accurately we label our feelings, the better we are at managing those feelings, at seeing the message that's coming from them, and then determining what we want to do with that. Research shows, this is interesting tidbit of information, Research shows that the mean number, the average number of emotions that people will tell you they've experienced in their entire life is happy, sad, or pissed. If we're looking at the analogy of color and trying to paint a picture only using three colors, how boring would that picture be? There are so many more colors and there are so many more feelings than three. 
Getting granular and digging into the different colors of our feelings. If anger is red, maybe frustration is pink, maybe furious is magenta, maybe annoyed is fuchsia. It is incredibly challenging to describe the world and the events of our life with three feelings. It's never going to work. Recognize in addition to missing the message underlying our emotions when we focus on this toxic positivity or this addiction to positivity, it's also inauthentic. What do you want to feel about a situation? We don't always want to feel positive about a situation. What feels organic to us? We're not always going to want to feel positive about a situation. Not acknowledging the feeling that you're actually experiencing is a false forced positivity and it undermines your resilience. Society will tell you that being positive all the time, it makes you more resilient. But the psychological literature out there actually says it makes you more fragile. Not acknowledging what you're actually experiencing makes you more fragile, not more resilient. In addition, you feel betrayed because you're ignoring what's truly going on for yourself and you're telling yourself it's wrong to have that feeling. And lastly, it's mean. It's harsh. If you think of a child who's on a playground and they fall maybe from an 18-foot step or an 18-foot, an 18-inch tall step, they fall off of it, they skin their knee, they run over to their mother who they feel safe with, they're crying, they're sad, and they want mom to make it better. If a child doesn't have the safety of that relationship to be able to do that and somebody's like, it was just 18 inches, walk it off, you're fine. It's harsh. That's harsh to hear, right? So allowing all of the feelings that you experience is really an expression of compassion. In order to be able to authentically experience the feelings that you're having, you need to have a safe place to explore that. Imagine considering taking a new job, making a career move, making a physical move to like a new town. When you are looking at colleges and like considering what you wanted to choose for a career, when you were considering marriage to a spouse, all of the things, if you didn't have compassion with those considerations, if you didn't have safety in the consideration of those experiences, it was very hard to evaluate all of the data there. Again, a young child, the example of a young child, if you take your, your young child who's starting kindergarten to their kindergarten classroom for the first time to meet their teacher and learn their classroom, there has to be an allowance for not knowing what's going on, right? With love and safety and compassion, you have to allow the child to explore and they need to feel safe to not have it all figured out so that they can explore, Okay, this is what is required for the experience to learn. This is what's required there. We never tell the child that's in the new classroom that they're not. You're really certain about this. You know exactly what's going on. There's you're not really scared. You don't argue with them about their feeling. You don't say, Timmy, I think you should think about all that you're grateful for in your life. We don't say that to our children. We allow the children the uncertainty, the unsurety, and the scared to be there, and we provide a safe experience for them to have and process these emotions, okay? That is what we need to be providing for ourselves when we're having an emotion or an experience that's not pleasant. It's hard to determine what's going on underneath if we're so busy shutting down and not acknowledging the emotion. So one of the main ways I see this with my clients is when they do something not in alignment with their goals. So 
They make a decision behind their backs. That's one of the ways we call it. My clients reach their goals all very differently. They all have their own protocols. They decide what works. They evaluate the data from what works, and they decide what needs to be changed. That's really how it works. Some of my clients make plans. Each morning, they have a plan about what they're going to eat, and they just stick to that plan. Other of my clients just have protocols. They know they're going to have protein and a veggie and a healthy fat at lunch and dinner. Some of my clients have all sorts of variations on these two options, okay? But when they don't do the thing they know they need to be doing or they should be doing that gets them closer to their goal, that is really where I see this, right? This is where I see my client really get their head into this positive, this toxic positivity or this addiction to positivity. So what they'll come to me and say is, well, somebody brought donuts because it was my birthday and donuts are so good and I really wanted them. There's a little bit of obligation and I didn't want to not have the donuts, so I ate the donut. And then at lunch I had chips because I kind of wanted something salty to balance out the sweetness of the donut. And in the afternoon there were brownies too, so I just had one of those. And then at dinner I had pizza because, well, I might as well. Right? This is the story they tell me. I break it down into the facts. They had a donut in the break room for breakfast or in the morning. They had chips at lunch. They ate a brownie in the afternoon and they ate pizza, pizza for dinner. And then I ask them, how do you feel about this? And quickly they f- jump immediately to, well, I'm feeling okay with it because it wasn't so bad. I didn't do so bad. And then they'll go on to say things like, I made a better decision than I would have three months ago. That's the big one, right? I'm doing better than I would have. A lot of times, please hear me on this, a lot of times this comes from an alternative thought that they've screwed it up, they've screwed the pooch, they've messed it up, they've effed it up, it's awful. And they're screwed up and they're never going to get it right. So this story of I didn't do so bad, I did better than I would have three months ago, all of that comes from this alternative negative thought. And I am not promoting you turn to the harsh negative thought, the I'm a failure the I'm not figuring it out, that I'm never going to get past this. I'm not saying that you use those thoughts. That is not what we're talking about here. What I am saying is that the answer to what needs to be found, the solution, the truth at the bottom of why you're eating food that makes you sick with diabetes is not going to be in found, is not going to be found in the story that I made a better decision. The I made a better decision now than I would have three months ago comes from our belief that we should not feel bad about what's going on. And this is what I help them to look at, to see. I will ask them to dig deeper. And a lot of times people can't. Like it takes, it's a skill set to learn how to dig deeper. They'll offer me things like, I don't know. Sometimes they'll come up with a feeling of obligated, like this obligated, I ate the donut that somebody brought for my birthday because I felt obligated. A lot of times it comes from this feeling of deprived, right? I felt deprived of not eating the donut, so I ate it. Sometimes they'll be able to describe cravings or desires for the next thing, the chips, right? And sometimes they'll recognize the guilt that they felt that led to the brownie, right? Like I ate the donut for in the morning and then I had chips and I felt so guilty and I was ruminating in these thoughts, so I just had the brownie. Because remember, all of these feelings, they don't always feel great. And we are trying to get relief from those feelings. And then in the evening, we're so resigned that we just go ahead and eat the pizza. Well, I might as well just, right? A side note that I think is really funny and that I've really used for, oh, I guess I'll just go ahead and that thought, I might as well just, 
Um, John Acuff, his book finished, he goes into this. I highly recommend you listen to it because it's pretty funny. But more than that, it's spot on. Nothing good comes from a thought like, I guess I'll just go ahead and, or I might as well just. No one ever does anything inspired from I might as well just. No one ever says I might as well just go ahead and help these orphans out. I might as well just go ahead and give to that charity. Nothing inspired, meaningful, or moving comes from a thought like I might as well just. I think this is so spot on. So if you're having this belief, and a lot of us do, I know it was a big, big thought running through my brain on a regular basis. If you have that, see it for what it is. Nothing inspired comes from that. So if it's in your head, start seeing that for the help that's there. Oh, this is just coming from the feeling of resignation. I don't need to act from this belief. And that's what we're going to dig into next, right? So it's way more meaningful and helpful for my clients to see what is felt between each decision and what is trying to be taught to them by those feelings than it is to let them believe that they did better than they would have three months ago. When we see that I did better than three months, we're missing – when we just see that I did better now than I did three months ago, we're totally missing the signposting of what is going on in the experience, in the moment. We need to see that feeling deprived because we're not eating a donut, that is the problem. That is where the fix needs to be because the donut makes us sick with diabetes. It makes us physically ill. It will cut years off of our life. Recognize that this is the equivalent to feeling deprived when you can't drink antifreeze. 15 years ago, antifreeze was also very sweet. It was a sweet treat. They had to reformulate it so it wasn't sweet so children would stop drinking it in their garage. But no one ever describes withholding antifreeze as deprivation. No one ever drinks antifreeze out of an obligation to anyone. And this is because we fully understand that it makes us physically ill to drink antifreeze. That is the truth of the story with antifreeze and with donuts. The feelings that we're experiencing when we're eating the donuts or the chips or the brownies or the pizza, that's the important part. This is where we uncover the path to fixing the problem. What were we feeling when we chose the donut or the chips or the brownie or the pizza? What feelings were you having with each of these decisions, with the donut deprivation, with the chips desire, with the brownie guilt, with the pizza resignation? When we cannot see the feelings that lead to these decisions, when we can't see the feelings that lead to the decision of the donut, the chips, and the brownies, and the pizzas, we cannot see the signposting to the deprivation, desire, guilt, and resignation. We don't see the guidance We don't see the signposting. We don't see the lesson that's offered there. Seeing the feelings as data allows us to stop believing that our feelings are directives. Take that in. I'm going to say it again because this is life-changing stuff. Seeing feelings as data allows us to stop believing that our feelings are directives. We do not have to do anything because we feel something. It is not a requirement that we comply with what we think must be done for the feelings. When we desire to only acknowledge the stories like we're doing better than we would have, it comes from an unserving commitment to only acknowledge what we believe to be a positive emotion. And in doing this, we miss the fix. By never seeing the signposting, we never have an opportunity to learn what is being taught. And we never get good at experiencing emotions without acting upon them. 
that is where the fix is. When you can have deprivation and experience deprivation and not act on it because something else is true, right? It's not only you're deprived of the sweet, tasty donut, you're also deprived of type 2 diabetes. It is not one or the other. Both are true in that situation. When we don't allow ourselves to see the full experience, we miss the opportunity to see what is really going on. We miss the opportunity to solve the problem. The problem is not that we need to make a better decision now than we would have three months ago. The problem is that we need to stop believing donuts, chips, brownies, and pizzas are an answer to deprivation, desire, guilt, and resignation. Acknowledging these feelings and seeing them for what they are is a step towards our goal. Suppressing them is a miss of a much needed lesson. No one sees this coming, right? Like, I remember the first time I went through this, it was like a huge, bright, shining floodlight lit up my brain and said, wow, there's all sorts of cobwebs like this in there. No one sees it coming. It blindsides us because the tyranny of positivity hides it from us. This is why I always tell folks, they'll come to me, now, how do I do it? How do I fix my diabetes? How do I stop being diabetic? And I always point out to them, don't spend a lot of time and energy and resources in determining the quote-unquote how of it. The actual how you get there is always substantially different than anything you could ever expect or imagine. Because it's not about doing better than you did three months ago. You don't need me to tell you to lay off the brownies, the chips, the donuts, the pizza, the Snickers bars, you know that. The work is in the feelings of deprivation, desire, guilt, resignation, and the like. What are they trying to tell you? They are trying to tell us that we believe something about these foods that are making us sick, and that belief is not serving us. That is why we eat. It is very hard to willpower our way out of eating something that we believe fixes a feeling like deprivation, desire, guilt, or resignation, especially when we also believe that having those feelings is wrong or bad, that we can't have those negative feelings. It is very hard to fix that with willpower. And this is why this work is such an act of compassion and self-love, and it really requires a safe space to allow you to explore. The example of donuts, chips, brownies, and pizzas is just one example of where I see this with my clients. It also comes up when we are upset, mad, frustrated, pissed, or angry. When our spouse, child, coworker does something that upsets us, we believe that we should not have those feelings because they're negative, right? We don't look at them as data. We look at them as negative emotions, and I shouldn't feel that. And therefore, we don't acknowledge or evaluate the feelings and the data. We ignore the signposts which makes it very hard to implement any changes in order to get different results. So how do we stop judging ourselves? How do we stop judging our feelings? How do we stop ignoring them? How do we fix this? How do we stop believing that our feelings are directives? How do we start looking at the data? How do we start acknowledging our feelings? So number one, stop labeling your feelings. Stop labeling them as good or bad. Nothing is helpful about that label. Just name them. This is my feeling. Nothing's good, nothing's bad. And then get granular about your feelings, right? That's the next step. Like I've discussed, I've discussed granularity in other podcasts about our plans, and that's great. Go back and check that podcast out. I can't remember which number it was, but what I'm talking about here is getting really accurate about what you're feeling, getting specific about how you are feeling, getting clear on your feelings, using more than three colors 
to describe your experience of life, clearly defining your feelings. It will be a one-word feeling still. That doesn't change. If you ever find yourself describing your feelings in a series of three sentences, that's not a feeling. Those are thoughts. But not every feeling is going to be anger, sadness, or happiness. There are a number of different feelings that go into the experience of life. Experience it all and experience it clearly, okay? So name your feeling. Get granular about your feelings. The third step that I encourage my clients to use is linguistic space. If you remember episode 86, if you don't remember it, check it out. But I discuss and describe linguistic space. It's also called linguistic perspective. This allows this tool allows you to give some distance and perspective on your experience or your feelings. When we utilize this, we realize that the experience and the feelings all pass. They come and they go. It's nothing that needs to have something done about it. It's not a directive. It doesn't need to be fixed. It's just an experience. It will be here and then it will pass. So this allows some distance and some agency over the experience to decide how we really want to manage it and do it intentionally. Fourth step that I recognize or that I recommend for my clients is to allow or lean into the feeling. Once you've realized the feeling isn't a directive, meaning it doesn't need to be, nothing needs to be done about it, it doesn't provide you direction, it does not need to be complied with, then you can have some space from it. You can take a deep breath. And this is the best. You realize you don't need to fix anything. You do not need to do anything with the feeling. You can just experience it and you know it will pass. And then once you get to that calm, The last step is to question the feeling that you're having and what it's trying to tell you. When you allow the feeling of deprivation when there are donuts in the break room, you can question why you're feeling deprived when you're choosing not to eat foods that are making you sick. Why is that? Is deprivation even true here? Is not eating food that makes me sick with diabetes that will literally kill me someday? Is that truly deprivation? Is this real? If not, what else is real? This is the process of reconceptualization that Caroline Leaf, she's a neuroscientist, talks about in her books. If you've ever heard any of her work, um, it's great work. If you haven't heard it, seek it out because she, her work on thoughts and the science behind thoughts is really impressive. But she talks about reconceptualization. This is the important part about what our feelings are signposting for us so that you can see what needs to be done. When you see what your story is and how it's not serving you, The act of reconceptualizing it is what needs to be done to get you to a different place, okay? So this is the work that I do with my clients. This is the work that really creates lifelong changes in your behaviors. This is the hard stuff that we do. Again, you don't need me to tell you to stop eating donuts and chips and brownies and pizzas and Snickers bars. You know that. Why are you continuing to eat foods that make you sick? That's the work that needs to be done. And this is where my program can help. So if you're interested in that, check out my website, delanemd.com, or send me an email. Send it to delane at delanemd.com to set up a time for your free consult to see what my program can do to help you start living your naturally healthy life. I hope you found that helpful. If you have any questions, holler at me. If you have any suggestions for episode number 100, send them to me, delane at delanemd.com, and I will talk to you next week for episode number 100. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Also, leave me a review. If you want to resolve your diabetes naturally without any pills or injections, I can help you. Visit delanemd.com for more information. Click on the Work With Me tab, send me a message, and we can set up a mini coaching session. 
You guys have a great week. I'll talk to you soon.